Episode 108, When Masculinity Turns Toxic, on the Social Workers Rise podcast. Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to the Social Workers Rise podcast. Today, we are talking about masculinity, and at what point does this masculinity turn toxic? So this is really important because, well, one, about 50% of our population is men, right? And the other portion of the population lives with them. And so it's important that we know, you know, how to work together. And I found some really interesting research, you know, when we're talking about toxic masculinity, I thought it was important to really understand first, what is masculinity, right? So traditional masculinity is essentially the the roles and the expectations and the responsibilities that men have within their certain culture. So this is going to look different depending on what culture, what country, what time era you're looking at, and so many different factors. So for the sake of this podcast episode, we're looking at current American cultures of masculinity. And the APA, the American Psychological Association, they actually released some research that shows that traditional masculinity that is marked by stoicism, competitiveness, dominance, and aggression is on a whole actually harmful. And men who are socialized in this way are less likely to engage in healthy behaviors. So they go on to say that men who have a high identification of the traditional masculinity traits, which are you know different traits like power, aggression, sexism, courage, leadership, being a provider. Um, they may have been told, you know, even from the time of, of being a baby, being a little boy to be tough or, you know, stop crying because crying is for girls. So these are a couple ways of how our society will reiterate these, these, um, you know, the, the values of the masculinity, right? So people who have a high identification of these negative traits, and they're not all negative, right? I want to be clear, like not all traits of masculinity are negative, but there are some that can be harmful and damaging, especially when taken too far, uh, because people who identify with these negative traditional masculinity traits, they are less likely to seek out preventative health care. They are 
more likely simultaneously to be drinking heavily. They may be more likely to be using tobacco and they might be more likely to be avoiding not eating their veggies or avoiding their veggies. They don't eat their veggies. You get it. And lastly, uh, they may be more negative about seeking out mental health services. And it got me thinking, you know, maybe that last piece has to do with why men commit 90% of the homicides in America, in the United States. And they actually represent 77% of homicide victims. They're the demographic group who's most at risk of being victimized by a violent crime. And they are 3.5 times more likely than women to die by suicide, and their life expectancy is 4.9 years shorter than women. So there's a lot of work that can be done, and I'm looking forward to talking with our guest, Lucas Contreras, and he is currently a MSW student at the University of Wisconsin. He is a dad of three boys under the age of seven and has worked in the field of social work and mental health for 14 years. He currently works as a behavioral health facilitator in a county Medicaid-funded program called Comprehensive Community Support, and he assists individuals who need care outside of inpatient settings and helps them with any ongoing needs that, if left unaddressed, could otherwise result in hospitalizations during times of crisis. He's really passionate about addressing this this topic of toxic masculinity and also the effects of men seeking mental health treatment. And he's passionate about changing the stigma around men needing therapy for eating disorders, depression, anxiety, PTSD, and other illnesses. So with that said, we're going to listen to a quick ad from our sponsor, The Rise Directory, and then hop into this interview with Lucas Contreras. This episode is proudly brought to you by The Rise Directory, a national directory of clinical supervisors who are dedicated to helping the next generation of clinical social workers grow in their clinical skills. The link is in the show notes. Check it out and tell every clinical supervisor you know about this directory. And welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. I am here with Lucas Contreras. Welcome to the podcast, Lucas. Hey, it's nice to finally be on. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'm noticing this is a trend with a lot of my guests is we're like back and forth and we plan dates and then stuff happens, right? Like clients, last minute emergencies or kids get sick, we get sick, life happens. So I'm glad that we're finally able to connect and have this conversation. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I feel like that's the the way the cookie crumbles with people that work in you, human services or with people in social work. So um, crisis are always happening, whether it's with the people we work with or our own. I know, I know. The good thing about social workers, though, and I noticed this even in grad school, 
is we're very understanding about life and life happening. Other professions, they are not so understanding. And they're no. very like, what do you mean we have to reschedule? Ah, like it's the end of the world. <laughs> that, that's been my saving grace for um, courses and <laughs> MSW is that, hey, like my kid's sick. And they're like, ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> like, do it when you can. <laughs> yeah, no stress. I don't want you to stress more than you have to. It's like right. life is already stressful. We don't need you know, colleagues making us more stressed out. So, um, so I'm curious, Lucas, you know, we're going to talk about toxic masculinity today, but before we hop into like that specific topic, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Sure. So, um, I live, uh, outside of Madison, Wisconsin, um, I'm finishing up my MSW at UW-Madison or University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, I currently work at a uh, county level position in a county nearby from where I live uh, for a program that we have here in Wisconsin called Comprehensive Community Services. Um, so the, the program is a Medicaid funded program and essentially uh, I my title is behavioral health services facilitator or so, uh, social worker. So um, the, the intention is to essentially try to keep our clients stabilized in the community, um, providing case management, interim therapy services, um, connecting with medication management, um, more intensive therapy, uh, and just um, people that have issues that are unaddressed um, that need extra assistance uh, so we can um, essentially provide, I guess, a diversion instead of having to get hospitalized or um, you know, get detained for any other reason. Okay, great. And this is work that you are doing as an MSW student. So, um, yeah. I specify because a lot of times people say like, what can I do to get experience? So this is one of those jobs. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people in my position are also uh, LCSWs and uh, already have their MSW. Um, I, I, I'm fortunate enough that I've been working in the field for about 14 years. So got a lot of experience under my belt with um, different levels of social work and mental health. Um, throughout different, um, you know, hospitals, working in the trenches in public health, um, and a variety of different settings. Yeah. Okay, great. So I'm curious, you know, what is it about toxic masculinity that, um, that got you so interested in it? Cause you approached me and you're like, Hey, I really want to talk about this topic and just raise awareness. So like, where does this interest come from? Sure. Yeah. I, I think it stems from my own childhood experience and um, starting from a child. And, and it's something that I, I feel like I still experience in figuring out who I am as a man and uh, questioning if I was ever like masculine enough or um, why do I like the things that I like or um you know, never feeling like man enough, I guess you could say, um, by having feelings, emotions, 
um, or liking certain things that would be considered uh, feminine. Um, and that really just kind of um, made me struggle with my uh, mental health. Um, I've struggled with an eating disorder um, and I've been in recovery for that for a good while. Um, but yeah, I, I think in a lot of the work I do now, um, I work across the lifespan, as, um, especially with um, teenage boys, um, you know, uh, coming to age young men and um, that are struggling with mental health or their body, um, our behavioral um, things going on and trying to um, lower that stigma that it, it's not okay to feel the emotions that they're feeling. Um, and a lot of that starts at a young age, I believe, um, by saying young boys can't feel certain things because they're considered feminine or not manly or not masculine enough. Right. And so when we're talking about toxic masculinity, like what exactly is that? Sure. Yeah. So I would say toxic masculinity is the mindset that um, what describes manhood or masculinity is considered of dominance, power, and control, lacking of empathy or acknowledgement of emotions, um, those things that you think of when I am the man, I am the breadwinner, I, um, you know, I, I don't feel things, I need to put, pick myself up by my bootstraps. I can't feel those things because those are feminine um, traits or not manly. Um, I got to stay strong. So when you have that thinking or mentality, then that becomes toxic, right? So um, that spills over into how that affects in mental health and your own mental health so, as a man. Okay. So I'm wondering though, is it always toxic or is it like, um, you know, can it be too much or too little? I guess like at what point does it, does masculinity of and of itself, because masculinity itself is not toxic, but like at what point does right. it become toxic? Sure. Yeah. I think it's, uh, as you said, it, masculinity itself is not toxic, but it's just really redefining our concept of masculinity and what those traits are, um, you know, um, and it becomes toxic when it's starting to affect your own mental health or the people around you. So um, I could say like a lot of toxic masculinity you see in traits of like narcissism or um, people that lack empathy for one another or want to control other people um, and just don't have that awareness. Um, so that's when I would say it becomes a toxic trait um, where you're affecting others negatively and you're also seeing that within your own mental health. Okay, interesting. And I, as you're talking, I'm thinking too that 
this doesn't necessarily only apply to men because I have met some women even that have a lot of masculine traits to the point where they, they cannot label emotions. They have a hard time mm -hmm. identifying with emotions. And so um, it's impacted their abilities to really form and keep relationships. Is that kind of, you know, what we're talking about, like on the same page? Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS Law and Ethics exam, the ASWB Master's or Clinical Licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now, bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, an introduction to suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. Do you love horses, nature, and being outside? Do you dream of having a successful career working with horses and helping humans? Horse Therapy Center of Canada provides certification and professional training to mental health professionals like you who want to launch a business or career in equine-assisted therapy. With three different delivery methods, you can become an equine-assisted therapist in as little as four days. For Social Workers Rise podcast listeners like you, my friend, Horse Therapy Center of Canada is offering you up to $700 off of their certification and training programs. So don't wait, start your career in equine assisted therapy and learning today, check the show notes for how you can get started. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say it's on the same page and, you know, what, again, it's that looking at the, the idea of what masculine traits are, right? So, um, when you have, as you said, uh, the women that you have are, are say, are saying that they have masculine traits, which, uh, go back to they can't feel certain things or, um, you know, void of emotion or things of that nature. So really redefining what that definition is to be masculine, because it has a lot of that negative connotation where feeling emotions are considered feminine. Yeah, that makes sense. So then, you know, you kind of alluded that it does have an impact on, on mental health or it becomes a problem when it has an impact on mental health. What type of impacts, like, should we be looking for, you know, what are some, some of those, um, 
I don't know, red flags, if you will, or, you know, how does it impact our mental health um, to the sure. point that we should, you know, be aware and seeking, seeking additional help for it? Yeah. So I, I think it, where it starts to impact mental health, um, you can start to see that at a young age by um, when you have young boys or young men starting to display um, uh, behaviors where they're acting out or um, harming other people or not being able to uh, regulate their emotions um, due to that concept that boys can't feel those things, that boys can't get sad. I, I believe there's a strong correlation with domestic violence um, and being very much a men's issue because it's not that men don't feel things, right? So those emotions or feelings get put elsewhere, mainly in anger and in violence, substance abuse. Um, and then that really starts to affect themselves and others around them. Um, and in kind of our society, we tend to justify those behaviors that, oh, boys will be boys. Boys, you know, that they're just messing around. Or if you look at, you know, um, you know, college age young men, oh, it's okay that they're binge drinking. That's just something they go through. Um, it's okay that, you know, they're treating women a certain way in high school or um, in college years. Um, and we start to give a free pass to that until it becomes an issue in the sense that they're starting to harm other people. Um, as well as you, you can see that in uh, a macro level within uh, fields that are heavily dominated by men, such as um, let's say first responders and vets who have a very big passion and working for with working with, um, and you see it starts to affect them in heavily uh, dominated masculine fields um, by domestic violence, um, suicide rates, um, etc. Because they're not able to feel those emotions. Okay. And does it, I'm okay. I guess I'm like processing um, because it, I imagine it wouldn't apply to like all men who identify as masculine, right? We're just talking no. about like a certain subset of them who like, it kind of just has gotten like out of control or unchecked. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am, um, th that concept is, is like, we're redefining what masculinity is. So uh, to be masculine is not necessarily toxic. It, it's a subset of, I need to talk about my masculinity in the sense that it's okay to feel these things. It's okay to be sad. Um, that is not a feminine trait. It's just a human trait. Um, and to be brave is not necessarily like to be strong as far as physical appearance or um, void of emotion. Um, you're stronger when you're able to fight through things and just kind of get through it, which then creates 
a lack of feeling, a lack of empathy, uh, as well as, again, a hardened surface. And then it's justified that um, that's okay because that's what a man is. It's, uh, you know, um, you know, that masculine trait. Yeah. Okay. And then how does this manifest in various cultures? Is it different? Is it sure. more? Is it less? Can we talk a little bit about the culture part? Yeah. Um, so I'm third generation Mexican and you see that a lot in like machismo. Um, and just again, that idea that males should be the breadwinner. They're the ones that um, you know, are the head of the household, they, they do all the work, the women stay at home, um, you know, they don't have to explain themselves, you know, they can go out and, you know, put all this hard work in, but what, yet when they go home, it, it, you know, it's not necessarily communicated in having a good relationship. But again, it's justified like, oh, that's, you know, that's what a husband is, or that's what the culture says it should be. Um, I, I think you can see that across a lot of different cultures, whether, you know, you're talking about in the Middle East, again, that same concept of, you know, women have their place, or in India, women have their place, because to be masculine is to be head of that household the breadwinner and if you're not that then you're looked down upon as a man because then those are feminine traits yeah and i can definitely see how this plays out uh just working in the field with clients and how because i you know i've done a lot like many years in the medical field right so i've experienced a lot of people who have lost abilities to be the breadwinner and they have this cultural um, idea or ideal about themselves that I am the breadwinner, like this is who I am, this is my identity. And when that is taken away from them, like maybe they can't work or maybe they've just gotten older and, um, and their wife maybe has to take care of them, right? Maybe the wife has to now um, physically take care of them, like help them get dressed, um, help them take a shower, things like that. Uh, they, it, it affects their mental health in that they lose their, they feel like they've lost their sense of identity and it can trigger a lot of depression and guilt and shame um, around this. And so, um, yeah, I can definitely see how, how it could manifest in various ways. And additionally with that, at, you know, they're experiencing all of these things, but then their culture also says like, well, you just have to suck it up. You just have to right. get over it or, right. or just suppress the emotion. Don't talk about it. Don't even acknowledge that this exists. Right. So there's no mental health support going on at all. So I'm wondering like when we're recognizing this and this will come up in a lot of different areas of social work because we're helpers, right? We encounter people right. who, who need help in their lives. Like they've fallen, sometimes they've fallen on hard times and they need some help. And I'm wondering what can we as social workers do to help in this situation, whether it's the um, person who's experiencing or displaying some kind of toxic masculinity or the family members who need help 
coping um, or, you know, supporting this individual. Yeah, yeah. I So when you were describing all of that, I so I have kids and it reminded me of the movie Mulan. <laughs> when you know the whole the whole concept of the story is that her dad uh when they he is summoned by the emperor to go to war that he's no longer able to do so because of his injury as he's gotten older and like was in the previous like war or whatever and so that's where mulan is like no you can't go and then he's like oh you're gonna create shame to the family and shame to my name you're just going to embarrass me more um so that same concept that you're talking about like um where even if you get older or um are unable to do that um it it's an embarrassment on who you are as a man um so it just kind of reminded me of that real quick when you were saying that um I think us as a social workers um, and those supporting, you know, um, you know, uh, men that are unable to do these things anymore, um, and kind of looking at that shot of their pride and that shame that they're having is um, kind of looking at the roots, challenging the roots of where those toxic thoughts came from, as well as trying to interrupt like those self-destructive, like concepts where it, that it's leading them to be more depressed or angry um where they're living a life where they don't really enjoy anymore um because they are so ashamed um so i think us as social workers um when you've when you've um had someone specifically that is a man who ha has the inability to um, kind of be in that role anymore, we need to support them in the sense that, hey, it's okay to, to feel this way. I know this is not what you thought, but, um, you know, looking at strength in a different light, kind of how like Brene Brown um, looks at redefining what strength is and that it, vulnerability can be a strength. Um, so when these men are vulnerable, um, it's like, no, that you're actually being stronger by being able to admit that you need help and that you put all this work in it throughout your whole life, that it's okay to ask for help now. Um, it doesn't make you less of a man, um, or it doesn't make you, you know, not strong. Yeah. So like reframing, Total um, reframing, yeah. validating, yeah. you know, what they're going through. And it sounds, you know, what you're talking about, it sounds like it could also be um, like a form of cognitive behavioral therapy. Sure. Yeah. Like so, uh, the cognitive restructuring, reframing thoughts. Um, totally. Uh, it, it, it's definitely a form of uh, CBT in that sense, uh, because it's redefining what what the the term is and what the the meaning is especially if you grew up that way and you're already kind of set in your ways or set in this concept um it's a little bit different when you're working with a younger boy um but from an early age the gender norms of like 
you know, like my seven-year-old or like the four-year-old um, is like, oh, I can't do these certain things because that's a girly thing to do, right? Girls do these things. Um, so it's already setting up that young boy who's going to become a man to not want to feel these things. So if we can redefine, it's okay to be feminine and like saying feminine traits are not necessarily bad, um, that they, that women and feminine traits also are strong, brave, all those things we associate with masculinity. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's just a, a different perspective. So I love this conversation. Thank you so much, Lucas. Where, yeah. can, where can we find you and connect with you? Sure. Um, so I'm on Instagram um, where I post about um, some, of, some of this work with toxic masculinity, um, social justice work, and various other mental health stuff. Um, my handle on there is dad and then boots and then the number two. So dad boots two. Awesome. And you will find the link to his Instagram in the show notes. Um, definitely connect with Lucas. Give us a shout out. If you are listening to this episode, we love to hear, you know, your thoughts about our conversation today. Um, thank you so much, Lucas. It was great having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Before you go, if you are interested in learning more about cognitive behavioral therapy that we mentioned during this episode, I would encourage you to check out the course that I have developed for new social workers who are uh, new to the clinical setting. And that course goes over the entire therapeutic process involving how to do a proper assessment, psychosocial assessment, documentation, and also we cover cognitive behavioral therapy, what it is, how to use it with clients, how to guide clients with this therapeutic modality. And we also give you other uh, skills and therapeutic techniques that you can use when you get stuck or when you need to further the connection with your clients. So the link is in the show notes. The course is called the Clinical Essentials for the future therapist. Again, this is for you if you are new to a clinical setting. If you are working one-on-one -on -one with people in community mental health, in the medical setting, in school social work, anywhere that you are doing documentation, having a care plan, and working directly with clients for that therapeutic change, then this course was developed for you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, please open up your iTunes, tap the five stars, and leave a short note on why you love listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot and share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations 
presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.